Hi everybody and welcome to my channel. Today we're on Introduction to Buddhism Part 2, The Four Noble Truths, which are the fundamental tenets of Buddhism. Before we get started, I would just like to say you could check out my Buddhism playlist on YouTube to watch the first video on the origins of the Buddha and Buddhism. And for further offers, you could check out my website, becomingnobody.org. So what are the Four Noble Truths? The first noble truth that the Buddha spoke after he became enlightened was the truth of suffering. But isn't that weird to think that a being becomes completely enlightened, which we'd think of as a state of pure love and bliss and freedom. And the first thing he comes back and says is there's suffering. That was his first noble truth. So isn't that kind of interesting? The reason the Buddha said that is because he realized that all life, anything that has a form to it, anything that exists in this world or the worlds beyond or the heavens or the hells, anything that has a form has suffering involved in it. And why did he say there was suffering? He's seen that there was suffering in birth. He's seen that there is suffering because we get sick. We suffer because accidents happen. We suffer because there's old age. We suffer because we die. And those are just the big hallmark ones. There's tons of suffering in between here all the time. So he also enunciated that we suffer because we don't get what we want. We suffer because we get things that we don't want to happen to us happen. In later teachings, he even said, we even suffer what we get when we do. We even suffer when we get what we do want because it's in time and it's going to go away. So basically, the Buddha's seen that in all life there's suffering. If you look at anybody in your life and anyone around you, including yourself, you're going to touch some suffering there. Either in the present moment, very shortly after this moment, or a little bit before. And you'd be very hard-pressed. In fact, I challenge that you couldn't find anybody that you've ever met that hasn't had any degree of suffering in their life. And if you think that there's no suffering in your life, there's a chance, a high probability that it'll come soon, and an even higher probability that you're probably in denial of the suffering that's going on. So that was the first tenet. That's the fundamental of Buddhism, is that there's an insatisfactoriness to life. Now you might be a little confused about this and say, what do you mean? Isn't life, like, isn't that a depressing notion? Isn't life supposed to be beautiful? Isn't it supposed to be filled with love? Isn't there supposed to be a higher purpose? Well, this is where the Buddha kind of ties it together is in the second noble truth, which is the causes of suffering. And he says, the cause of suffering isn't even those events happening the cause of suffering is your attachment. The cause of suffering is the clingings of mind, is another way to say it. Or the third way of saying it is the cause of suffering is desire. So, although we are taught in the West that we want to be attached, that we want to, that desire is a good thing, basically, that you accomplish things through wanting and desire, the Buddha's seen this. He's seen that our attachments, which means our attachments and aversion. So that means any outcome that I'm attached to, any way of being that I'm attached to, anything that I think 
has to be a certain way. Anything down from my religious beliefs to the way others treat me to the way others act in the world to my bodily comforts to my habitual thought tendencies. Any way of being that I am attached to is actually going to create suffering because it's in time and it's always changing. Any person that I'm attached to, any pet that I'm attached to, and the same is said of aversions. So anything that I push away, if I hate spiders or I hate a certain political party or I hate a certain actor or I hate a certain person, I suffer through those aversions. So I'm not accepting the universe as it is. I'm either attached super strongly, I'm trying to hold on to part of it and keep it a certain way, and then I'm going to suffer because that's going to lead to codependency, that's going to lead to uh, fear and insecurity, and then it's going to change and it's going to hurt. Even if I'm attached to my own body and life, then I'm going to suffer vastly when I die. So the suffering isn't in the outer events, it's in the internal. So the attachments and aversions, it can also be said to be called the clingings of mind. So that means wherever my mind, it doesn't mean that we don't want our minds to function, that they can't think stuff, that they don't go on doing what they do. But wherever my mind is clinging to a certain view, a certain standpoint, a certain way things have to be, anytime my mind clings to a certain comfort, a certain pattern that I'm used to, and this could be anything down from what we like to eat and drink to what we think our psychological outlook on the life to how we categorize and judge other people, anything. As long as my mind's clinging somewhere, and that could be even unto, as I said, even unto life itself. As long as my mind's clings, it could be to the way my partner treats me, that I, I like them if they treat me this way, or I like the country I live in, but how would you feel if you were living in a much poorer country? How would you feel if you were living in a war-torn country? Would you still accept that as the moment? Because you might feel pretty peaceful and secure where you are right now in this incarnation, but think of how little of a change can throw you completely off your game. If your boss called you right now and said, you're fired, and you get all angry and upset, that's a clinging of mind. Because the reaction is, the action is you got fired. And if there's not, if there's something you could do about it, then you act to do something about it. If there's nothing you can do about it, then you're fired. Anything you do beyond that is a clinging of mind. You getting all worried, you freaking out. And it's not that it's bad. It's not that you say, but oh, shouldn't I get worried? Well, you can, but that that's showing our clingings of mind. That's the weakness of mind. That's the suffering. So anywhere the mind clings, if you got a phone call right now and was told that your family member or your best friend just died, you would your whole consciousness would completely change. That's clinging of mind. And the Buddha stated that you care about that, but if somebody in the town over dies, he said, you don't care about that because you didn't have that attachment there. There was no clinging of mind. So even though the same event happened, a human being died, one dies and you're distraught and despaired, the other dies and you don't care because the ones that are closer to you, you have stronger attachment to. So we suffer due to this clinging of mind. And you could say it in the third form, which is desire. 
you suffer because you want stuff. You can desire good friends, you desire wealth, you desire fame, you desire money and power, you desire a comfortable life. That's not too much to ask for, right? Desire a comfortable life. But anything that we desire, the Buddha said, and this is the same uh, tenant as Ashtanga Yoga, the eight-limbed yoga of Hinduism, anything that we desire basically creates seeds in our mind that has to be worked out as karma, as action, in this lifetime and in future lifetimes. So it is said, desire creates the universe, desire sustains the universe, and desire is the universe. Because if, if there was no desire, no form would come into being. Things only move, everything moves off of attachment and desire. I mean, why do you do almost all of the things you do? How often do you do them just out of the pure flow of being in the now? It's almost always out of some attachment to an outcome or some desire. And their harm, you know, their desires you think of as harmless when it gets very subtle. It doesn't have to be a desire to hurt people or desire to do drugs or a desire to be judgmental. It could be the desire to earn a living the desire to take care of your family. So it can get very subtle. But as long as we have desires, we're forced to continue staying in form. And you will get what you desire. If you desire to be a king, if you desire to be very wealthy and have awesome cars, if you desire to have vast power over others or many partners or the opposite sex or whatever it is that you desire, it will come to pass. It might it might come to pass in this lifetime. If it does not, it'll come to pass in another lifetime. But so it's not about denying our desires because we're all at different places on the path. We have to honor them and let them work themselves out because if the desire is there, unless, it, unless and until it goes away or is burned up, it's going to end up manifesting itself. So if I have a vast desire for coca-cola and i say no to it all the time and i'm like i can't do that it's not spiritual well one day that desire is going to have to come up and manifest that desire for that coca-cola it's either going to go away through my practices or i'm going to have to drink some coca-cola until i'm through with that desire so you will get what you desire but the, what the buddha is saying is that as great as it gets any pain and pleasure is always intertwined so you cannot have the light in duality without the darkness. You can't enjoy yourself without there being pain. Enjoying watching a little baby's birth is also saying that there's going to be the pain of somebody dying. As high as you get, there's alternative lows. And that's just built into the game. Now our problem is we often, we kind of deny the lows and we want it to be all highs. We want it to be all peace. We want everyone to love, everyone to be free from suffering. And those are noble aims. And Buddhism does um, have the aim, may all beings be peaceful, may all beings be free of suffering. But it's important to remember that as long as there's desire, as long as we're in the physical universe, there's going to be suffering. So the causes of it is the internal clingings. The truth of it is that it's there that it's gonna happen and that you'd be a fool to deny it or try to run away. The third noble truth is the cessation of suffering. 
So Buddha says there's actually a way to get out of it. And the lofty aims of Buddha, what he attained, are pretty far out to conceive. But he was just a normal man like me and you, a normal human being, normal man or woman. Um, but he said there is a way to attain cessation of suffering like I did. And even on a smaller scale, we can think of this in our daily life. As we become more present through whatever practices we do and we become less attached, we, there's less suffering because things sort of bounce off and flow through us because our mind isn't so sticky. That's what you can think of it as, is like a mind sticky with honey or molasses. It's It's got a stash, it's clinging on to something. It's got a secret stash of being a secret area where people could hurt you. Because as long as somebody can get to you, as long as some event can get to you, that means you're not totally free. If there's anything in the world I could say to you right now that would make you angry, which I know there's things, if someone walked into my house right now, they could say some things that could make me angry or put fear in me that could make me angry or make me scared. As long as there's anything like that, I'm not totally free because I'm still clinging, even if it's only clinging to survival. I'm not totally free because there's something you can do that can hurt me. I'm hurtable. I don't let things pass off me and flow through. I still believe in the reality. Of, I don't realize death's an illusion. I still believe in the reality of death, even if intellectually I don't. So I'm hurtable. So Buddha said there is a cessation of suffering. There's a way to get out of it. It won't always be like this. And inevitably, you'll wake up from it. Right now, there's vast suffering. Really, the suffering, once you'll wake up, you'll realize the suffering was no suffering. It was uh, an illusion to begin with. It was part of this play of the universe. But in all relative standpoints, it seems like there's suffering, what we're going through right now. He said, yeah, but there's a cessation of it, so you can get out of it. And once you get out of it, you're going to realize that it never was. That's the hilarious paradox of it. But when you're in it, it's very real. So you think of a little kid, for example, when a little kid hurts himself or two little kids are playing outside and he hurts himself and it's like a little injury and it's not that serious and he's crying all bad and screaming like it's the end of the world and you understand the whole situation. You understand how the fight happened with the other kids and how the kid tripped over the rock and you see the whole disagreement and how he got hurt and that it's just not even a bad injury and you could see the whole play and that there's no really harm done. But the kid doesn't understand that. The kid's wailing and screaming and the kid is totally caught in the drama. So that's what we are. The Buddha became enlightened so he's like the parent. He's seen how it all was we're identified as the kid where our suffering's very real and you can't tell a kid that's crying oh it's, it's no big deal you're crying over that kid took your toy or whatever you were wrong it's no big deal the kid doesn't understand that so we can't always tell people gee your suffering's illusion even though we might know it is as we start to get free so that's why essential for spiritual growth there has to be suffering and Ramdas always said this, but you can't be the one who suffers. So suffering is, and you are. So you are as the self, you are as the witness, you are as the part of God, and suffering is as the part of form. 
So even though we work to alleviate suffering, suffering still goes on nonetheless. But we become less attached to the suffering. And it doesn't mean we don't do volunteer work. It doesn't mean we don't talk on the phone with people. It doesn't mean we don't write letters. It doesn't mean we don't love and serve people. We work to alleviate suffering in ourselves and others while still knowing that suffering's an illusion and knowing that it's relatively real. What a paradox, right? So anyways, the truth of suffering is that it goes on. You'd be a fool and a liar to say it doesn't. The second noble truth is the causes of it. It's your attachment. It's your clinging of mind. It's your desire. Go back and think of anything. I challenge you to find a cause of suffering that doesn't relate to these three. And again, I use the death one because it's one of our things we fear most in the West. But if you had no desire and if you knew the truth of your own being, you would not even be afraid of death. So if somebody could come in my house and kill me and I'm afraid I still have a clinging of mind that's the in one of the most extreme forms you know we have them in much much more um effective in our daily life forms but that's if you have it there even that shows you where to gauge the rest of it from you know the rest of your clingings so the third truth is that it can go away that there's a cessation of suffering the buddha was like I did it and he didn't think people would be able to understand. And the angels came to him and they said, there's a lot of people that can understand, teach this. And then you might say, okay, well, okay, Buddha, that's good news. But what do, what do we do? And he said, well, there, you do the Noble Eightfold Path. He said, this is the path to the cessation of suffering. Now, keep in mind, he did not say you'll attain enlightenment in this lifetime if you practice it. But he said, you follow this path and you'll get there. And the Noble Eightfold Path is what we're going to dissect in our next video. But the Eightfold Path is right understanding, which means you got to understand how it all is. Right thought, so you have to purify your thinking process. Right speech, you got to watch what you say. Right action, that's everything that you do. Right karma, right activity. Right livelihood the way you work, the way you make your money, right effort. You got to understand between action and non-action, between doing and non-doing, between giving up the fruits of your work, right mindfulness, staying mindful and present, and right concentration, which those deal with meditation and sitting and being aware and holding a focus on one point. So those are the Noble Eightfold Path. Those are the eight things that if practiced rightly can lead you to enlightenment and so there's a lot more to those than i just briefly said which is why my next video which is going to be part three we will cover and go in depth into the noble eightfold path and what each of those really means and how you could practice in your life because the rest of this the first three noble truths you're getting the philosophy down and the understanding down now the fourth one the noble eightfold path is what can you actually do about it? Now I know how it is. Now I know there's suffering. It's caused by my own clinging to mind. I want to get out of it. Show me how I can get free. So stay tuned for the next video. Thanks for checking this out. And um, I look forward very much to continuing with the process. Thanks.